0: broadcasting live from the business radio x studios in midtown atlanta it's time for health connect south radio brought to you by sharewick media your health and wellness content specialist health connect south is to serve the health community as a sustainable platform for regional health collaborations through our collective work we seek to broadly define and advance the southeast role in the future of health serving as a gateway between health industry silos we seek to provide unique and meaningful partnership opportunities in health we are pleased to share this information and these experts with you as a part of serving our mission. Want to be part of the discussion? Join in, tweet questions and comments at HCS2014.
1: Good morning, everyone. It's C.W. Hall, your host here on Health Connect South Radio. We're joined in studio as always by my co-host, Diana Keo of Sherwick Media Group, and they're the organization that has been kind enough to help make this uh, program possible.
2: Great to be here.
1: And I'm also joined in studio by Krista Baruti. She's on the board, running uh, running the board. She's back there. You can kind of hear her back there. She's not on the mic today because we have a very full room today, in the studio. We've got a number of experts who are working on a very important initiative. So because we've got so many folks to hear from today, we're going to kind of go ahead and, and jump right into it. Um, we're going to be talking about Georgia Shape, uh, an initiative uh, that's uh, been put forth by the the governor's office and um, working to combat uh, childhood obesity and then obviously the downstream health implications of childhood obesity when it starts young obviously leads to a host of potential health impacts down the road that are costly to our system. But there's another thing that we've found as uh, research has begun to kind of take a look at this issue, and that is that Physical activity among our young people, uh, particularly as it's integrated throughout the day, can have dramatic impacts on their academic performance as well. And clearly, um, our country is looking at uh, how well our students perform and trying to come up with creative ways that we can improve in that fashion. And it sounds like there's a kind of a novel, simple idea that can really make a big impact. So Dr. Fitzgerald, the, the commissioner for the Georgia Department of Health, Thanks for taking some time, because clearly you're a very busy person. Yes,
3: but this is a big (laughs) issue for us. I think it's the whole basis quite frankly, of health in Georgia.
1: We're also joined at the table uh, by Dr. John Baer from the Arthur M. Blank Foundation, and more specifically, as a part of that, the Atlanta Falcons Youth Foundation. And they do a lot of work uh, on uh, youth health and and just their well-being, uh, contributing funds that help those programs run. So thanks for taking time out of your day as well. Good morning. We're excited to be part of this. I've got Dr. Emily Vall. Uh, she's part of the uh, Georgia Shape Project. She's the statewide coordinator for the program. So, thanks for taking some time to join us as well on the mic.
4: Thank you so much for having me.
1: <laughs> We've got Trace McGuire from the Department of Education going to be able to share a little bit of information about the education side of this and how it's been implemented, what brought uh, this focus onto this particular issue. So, thanks for taking some time, Trace.
5: Absolutely. Thank you.
1: And uh, last but not least, we've got Debbie Kibby. Um, she'll be able to share some information from the Georgia state public health, uh, Georgia State University's public health policy. She's, Part of the team that has put together a lot of the research type data that's uh, backing all of this effort up, so she'll be able to contribute some information about why is this important and what is, what are the the research underpinning this. So thanks for, for taking time.
6: Thank you for having me. I appreciate it.
1: And shortly we'll hear from a teacher and a student actually that are part of the program. They're coming from a school uh, in the area that has actually adopted this program and putting into uh, into effect. And uh, we'll get to hear how that's affecting them in the classroom. So I'm looking forward to it. So. Dr. Fitzgerald, starting with you, take take us back in time what brought this about? I mean, clearly there's a problem as I got to researching uh, obesity in children. I, I I knew there was a problem. I mean, Obviously, we're talking about it. The NFL, for example, has got public service announcements and things like that to move 60 minutes a day and, and try to get people moving. But I didn't realize the extent of the problem until I started looking into it. Um, looking at the CDC, it's talking about the fact that childhood obesity has more than doubled in children and quadrupled in adolescents in the past 30 years.
3: Absolutely. Uh, I
1: really, I knew it was a problem. I didn't realize it was that extensive. And so that means that all of those students are kind of on their way to things like heart disease and Absolutely. diabetes and, you know, the host of problems, stroke and different things that can come from being overweight, uh, problems with pregnancy, problems with healing. If you have to have surgery, different things like that, that come with just the problem of obesity, but we've identified along the way that the activity that goes into being a young person, even an adult, can have impacts on brain function. So, take me through kind of what brought this to the attention of of the governor's office and and kind of got this whole thing started.
3: Certainly. I mean, I think the most important data that you need to remember is that, yes, there had been an increase throughout the country, but Georgia, as far as childhood obesity, we were the second worst in state in the entire country. Wow. Uh, Uh, So, yes. So it was... Uh, It was a very big problem in Georgia. And we knew from looking at the national research, like, for example, there was a lovely study done in Kansas uh, where they looked at children in elementary school. And they had those children that had had increased physical activity and compared them to children who did not in 30 school systems. And there was a dramatic increase in math and reading and spelling. And so what we knew is that the purpose of the Department of Education is to make sure that... that children learn. Mm -hmm. Um, And what we also knew from the Department of Health is that for them to learn they needed physical activity. So the legislature in 2009 passed a law that said we were going to measure the children. We were going to look at the kids and see what was happening in in Georgia. And um, that the next year, there was some organization about that, and then there was a pilot study, and we now have three years of measurements on looking at Georgia's children. And here are the numbers: forty uh, percent of the children in our school systems are not at a healthy weight. And wow. here's yes, but here's the one that scares me. We looked at a variety of things, not just weight, but also. It's called aerobic capacity, Um, and we look at flexibility. We looked at muscle strength, and the tests are not – it's not trying out for the Olympics. Right. It's not even trying out for the football team. I mean, it's walking a mile and touching your toes. And only 19% of Georgia's children were able to do all tests. That's amazing. It's amazing.
1: I would have never guessed that.
3: Exactly. So clearly, this became the governor's main interest because we knew that unhealthy kids, of course, would lead to unhealthy adults. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we brought together, he brought together under his leadership, a public-private partnership that includes academic people like Dr. Kibbe, uh, that looks at the research, that looks at the research here in Georgia. Georgia, so that we see, uh, we want to have programs, but we also want to evaluate those programs. Mm -hmm. It brought the medical community together. Uh, Children's Health Care of Atlanta had been doing some remarkable work, Um, but we brought them uh, there in the field. So you need to train the docs on when a family goes to the doctor and there is an an unhealthy weight. How do you talk to the parents? Um, It brought the academic community together, the medical community. It brought the philanthropic community. Um, And all of it is under an organization, and Dr. Bear, uh, John Bear, is the leader of that organization because we, and he's from the private community. Because we knew it couldn't be just what government was sure. doing; it had to be public-private.
1: And so, you can talk a little bit about that, Dr. Bear, as far as how how did your foundation come to be involved, and, and what swung you into action as it relates to the Georgia SHAPE program?
7: Yeah, the the Atlanta Falcons Youth Foundation is actually not a health foundation. We don't fund the delivery of care. We don't fund research, but we care about kids. And way back in 2004 and 2005, Mr. Blank, who has a personal interest in this, has had a lifelong interest in physical fitness, um, saw the trend line for kids and could see that since the early 1980s, this um, – Uh, rate of poor physical fitness was going through the roof. And so we began investing in innovations in 2005 to increase the time kids spend in physical activity. So if you take it out of the research and look at it as as kind of a common sense test, Mm -hmm. if there were a magic pill that would help kids and adults uh, live a healthy, vigorous life, it's physical activity, vigorous physical activity. It does things for the body and the brain. We know sick kids can't learn, If you're not well, you're sick. Um, If you have the measles, as we keep reading about in the paper uh, or on TV, that's an obvious sickness. If you have a a kind of a chronic health issue and that you're not fit, your aerobic capacity is bad, and there's some other things happening that you can't see visually with the brain, you're not ready to learn. So the sort of um, physical activity became something for us that we wanted every kid to experience. So um, the the aerobic piece of what Georgia's measuring, if there's one measure that's the most important, it's that for us. We want more kids to have the aerobic capacity that's linked to being healthy enough to sit in your chair in school and learn. It's also associated with other things others care about, including the actuarial guys in Georgia, <laughs> that see trend line for sure. diabetes, asthma, heart disease, right. and yeah. see Very costly if this trend line, line if we don't bend the curve, as they say, yeah we're all going to be in a different business anyway.
1: When we look at, and and whether it's you or one of our other uh, experts here, when we look at talking about the the aerobic capacity, for example, are we gauging its progress uh, in our students based on kind of subjective reporting from the students and their report of, in the the moment, basically, their level of tolerance or, or perceived exertion, if you will? Is that how we're kind of getting at...
7: Improvements. Well, uh, Dr. Trace McGuire from the Department of Education can Mm. give you the details. But the nice thing about fitness, Graham, I just want to mention that we're really excited that this is the test that Georgia's adopted. Is it doesn't um, rank order kids as you're faster, stronger than me. It's do you relative to yourself. Do you clear the bar? for to healthy. be in the healthy zone. Are you
3: healthy? Mm-hmm. That's the question. Yeah.
7: So it just is an absolute measure. You're either in the healthy zone or you're not in the healthy That's zone. That's right. And then Trace can tell you more about what that means to run around in in, in gym class and see.
5: Sure. And, and what aerobic capacity is, um, basically, it's how well your body can utilize oxygen, how well you take in Mm -hmm. um, oxygen, especially at higher levels of physical activity. And um, on the fitness gram, the test that we're, the fitness assessment we're using in Georgia, it's criteria referenced, meaning it's set against a criteria that indicates children are less likely to have chronic disease and problems later on in life. And so we're doing, uh, the schools are doing what's called a PACER test, which is a aerobic capacity test where the students run back and forth to a beep, and it progressively gets quicker, Um, and as the students can no longer sustain that physical activity, they would drop out. And the the more that you do, then the better your aerobic capacity level, is, as indicated on that assessment. And we found in the last few years about a 2% increase in the number of students who are in the healthy fitness zone for aerobic capacity, so we're we're making some leeway.
1: So when we apply that against the numbers, even though it's a a small statistic in a way, it's still a lot of people that we're talking about. 2% change over thousands of kids means that we're impacting a number of folks so clearly it's it's having an advantage
3: and we have uh one of the things that we've done to make sure we increase this aerobic capacities we have a very definite program in place and it's called power up for 30 right and the plan is to have 30 minutes increased activity and the plan is every day every school every child in georgia um, and so far, we have had one – we have uh, 486 schools mm-hmm. in Georgia that have agreed to do this. Mm-hmm. Uh, 370 schools have already been trained. We have one group of schools that has already completed a year's worth of uh, of the program, and we know what happened in those schools. And we have money, again, from our public-private partnership. The Coca-Cola Foundation gave us a million dollars to do this. So we have enough money to train three people in every single elementary school in Georgia. And those three people, one will be a PE teacher, because you got to have active sure. physic PE. You can't just wait to bat. Yeah. Uh, you really have to be moving. Two, a um, a, a principal, uh, somebody that's going to support this. Because what we're talking about is it increase physical activity throughout the day. Mm -hmm. And then three, a a, a cheerleader. And that can be a a classroom teacher, that can be a parent. But we have enough money to train three people in every school. And in this pilot program that we did in Macon, what happened is, it was about it was twenty thousand kids, a little over twenty thousand kids, and over sixty percent of them maintained or improved their weight, the BMI. But more importantly, there was a significant improvement to sixty-two percent for their aerobic capacity. Mm-hmm. So we know with 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 this year's evaluation of this program, we know that we have the capacity to do it. So the main thing, from my point of view as a health officer. We have the money, we have the time, we have the proof it works. We just need to make sure that all schools are doing
1: it. Adoption is the key now.
3: So,
2: I mean, 480. 86 schools, that's a lot of schools, but there's a lot of schools that are not yeah, doing 1300
1: it. 1,300 roughly?
3: Yeah. yeah, so that means about a third of our schools have committed to doing this, but two-thirds have not. Um, and the important thing about that is, is there's home rule in schools, which means that each individual school district will decide if they're going to do this, um, because it, it um, and it is very important, and we're so thankful for the school districts that have stepped up, right. um, and we know um, we know the improvement in physical activity and in the Cobb schools where they did the evaluation there was also the improvement in the academic performance just like we had in Kansas Georgia children are no different than Kansas children Uh, they do improve when they move (laughs) maybe the accent's a little different but I don't understand I
2: mean this seems like a no-brainer to me why wouldn't a school adopt this why are
3: they saying no or we're not interested or we'll have to wait on this Um, maybe somebody can suggest I think that there's a lot that schools um, of course are responsible for Um, and I really think it's a matter of and that's why I'm so happy to be here talking today because I think it's a matter of getting the data out uh, so that school principals know I mean like I was talking to a Chamber of Commerce uh, about a week or two ago and their school superintendent was there and when I presented this data from the first school she she came up to me right afterwards and said, "I want to do that." So I think that it possibly is just the one. You know, like I said, we just got our first year evaluated. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think as the as it becomes more compelling, right, the data is clearer that it is that it is a value proposition. John, what do you think? Well, I, I agree
7: with you completely about the data being persuasive. The other thing, this is new, and our experience in the past is. The peer-to-peer influence is really powerful. Mm. So, when the first few hundred schools have a good experience, and you're at a community breakfast, and, and so somebody it, yeah. says, "Well, you wouldn't believe what's happening at my school," and the right. principal says, "Well, I want it, I wanted over here," so I think that um, you know that in the past we've seen that really uh, drive the adoption, and think that will be uh, the same case here. The other thing I just want to mention, you know, again, translating the research into the practical application is if anybody that's around 10-year-olds, and you're going to hear from a young man in in a few minutes, it's not hard to get them to move. It's actually hard to get them to sit still. (laughs) So we actually, when we started this, it was a little bit of a puzzle. Is Every kid we know in our life is running around. and and So what are the barriers here? So a lot of the work here is really barrier removal. It's what kids want to do. And certainly teachers want kids who are going to perform at the highest level. So an example that we've seen really early that was promising is kids come to school when the buses drop them off or when the parents are on the way to work. There may be 45 minutes before the first bell rings. So one option is they're sitting around in gym class in the gym on the bleachers talking, maybe getting in a little trouble and not doing something productive, <laughs> or they get a chance to run around on the playground for right. those 30 or 45 minutes. It's not taking away from any other class. Mm-hmm. So the creative ways that schools are adding these minutes through the brain breaks or the creative time before the first bell. Uh, is, again, what kids want to do. It's what customers want to do.
1: We've been talking with Dr. Brenda Fitzgerald, the commissioner for the Georgia Department of Health, and that was Dr. John Baer of the Atlanta Falcons Youth Foundation. And we're talking about Georgia SHAPE, and it's an initiative to improve the fitness level of our children. And in, in addition to the health benefits of that, we're also learning about research that is showing that the kids that are active, and more so than not, tend to have greater performance levels in their math in particular, reading, and other, other areas of their academic work. Um, and for the listener out there that's, whether it's a, a school administrator, teacher, or, or a parent, or whoever may be listening, we're not talking about PE. Obviously, PE is an important part of the day. And, and you know, in times of budgets and things like that, when we may trim those programs, clearly we're doing our, our kids a disservice. But what we're talking about is adding in another level.
3: Another 30 minutes. Integrated
1: into the day of the classroom. Yes.
3: And then also, though, the emphasis needs to be on vigorous PE.
1: Mm -hmm. And the the key thing here is it doesn't have to be extensive minutes at a time necessarily. We're just going to do some activity. And uh, before the show, we were learning about the fact that there are some benefits to doing some activity, moving around, and then doing some learning
6: one thing i'd like to point out is that eight minutes a day has benefits of physical activity for adults and children so just adding a few minutes to the day will begin to improve the health of those children but i wanted to address something that john mentioned earlier in addition to the time barrier there are many other things that teachers are challenged with and you'll have a teacher that will be able to talk about this we have attention deficit issues, right? Mm -hmm. We have time on task being measured. We have behavioral challenges. Physical activity helps with all of that. That's right. So as we think about what this is doing, it's not only about the health benefits for sure, it's about measures that help these teachers become better teachers and help students become better students. The other thing is this 30 minutes a day is enough to help these students get into what we call energy balance.
1: You've been listening to Debbie Kibbe from the Georgia State University Public Health Policy Center talking a little bit about the underpinning uh, from a research perspective. Um, it, it The activity actually starts to improve the way my brain works. And in fact, as we talk about the way I don't have time in the classroom already to get everything done that I need to teach, uh, and we're going to try to take some of that academic time away. But what we're finding, it sounds like, is that Work work harder and, or work smarter, not necessarily harder in a way that we we actually find that we're we're maybe spending less time trying to get the kids to pay attention. They're actually paying attention better for a little more focused period of time, and therefore they're able to achieve more in that academic time while integrating some activity. Am I on the right track? there? That's
4: exactly right.
1: Emily, did you have something there?
4: I did. I also just wanted to mention I think an important piece of this program is that teachers actually have the ability to be trained. On how to create learning that's more meaningful through physical activity. So it's not necessarily something that's taking away from academic time. It's something that can be woven into academic time. So, for instance, if they're learning about math, they can incorporate heart rate, um, different mm-hmm. you know lever systems with flexibility. All kinds of really deep, meaningful learning that can be done through being active and. Um, the, that can be done in the classroom as well as out in physical education class.
1: My daughter is a is an eleven year old, and she is in a in a private school that's aimed at teaching children that have like some sensory processing, dyslexia, dyscalculia, different challenges like that. They're high potential kids, that. Their testing shows they should score well, but they have a have a difficult time. Many of those kids are often misdiagnosed as ADHD, or even it can be a component. But one of the things that this school does that maybe a regular traditional classroom does not do so much is they let them move around. They they integrate movement um, or maybe less traditional positions, if you will, if a student might be able to read more consistently in a laying down position, for example, in the classroom, they might be inclined to do that. And they can integrate, as you were talking about, some movement while they're actually doing the academic work. Um, I know so for that group of students, there's certainly benefit, but it sounds like based on what we're saying here that all younger people might Absolutely. have some benefit of you that. You see
3: us all shaking the heads. Mm-hmm. I'm sure the people out on the radio can see us all shaking our heads <laughs> <laughs> in agreement of that.
2: <laughs> and Emily, I'd love to hear, you know, there's been words kind of passed around like brain breaks and energy balance. But what other thing, I mean, creative ways are these, you're obviously training the teachers and the principals. What other things are you training them to do in the classroom to integrate this?
4: Well, I think one of the kind of the framework of the program is to be creative. And teachers and educators like to be creative, you know. Um, I think that's why many people go into the field. And it's really about taking their subject matter and incorporating physical activity in ways that fit their needs. The program's aligned with the CDC um, Comprehensive School Physical Activity Program. And what that basically means is that each school gets to tailor their activities, and their programs to their wants and needs. So we start by creating – we've developed with a bunch of our academic partners a very meaningful survey that each school has to complete. We actually have over a 70% response rate across the state, which is – really exciting in itself. Yeah,
1: that's amazing. <laughs>
4: yeah, um, but and that's largely due to our partnership with the Department of Education as well. Um, but basically what that does is when each school goes into the training, they have their individual data in front of them so they can see what their needs are. They can see um, what their actual physical activity environment looks like at the school level. Then when they begin to meet as a team with those three individuals, they can create a plan that really fits what their school needs. So, if, for example, if you go to the southern, more rural areas of the state, those schools look drastically different than the schools here in Midtown Atlanta. Their programs look drastically different, too. And the the wonderful piece about this program is that you can create physical activity in all kinds of meaningful ways that really fit fit the school's context.
1: I would imagine that um, being able to have some input on what we're doing can help buy in as well. It helps if, if I kind of help design my plan and my program, then I'm probably going to stick with it more.
7: Yeah, and I want to mention something specific. Uh, the Gen Youth Foundation is a partner with Fuel Up to Play 60 grants that uh, our foundation is supporting through Georgia Shape. And it's a Georgia Shape org is the website. Yes, so you can find out about grants in, in that. That provides small grants to schools for students to play a role in designing what will work. So students at a school will they know their school best, and it's not a one size you know fits all solution. The other piece is that some schools are reimagining recess, sort of what's old is new again. We have a partnership with Playworks, which is an organization working in about twenty three cities. It's the first statewide partnership in the country that Playworks has to help schools. <laughs> you know, again, use that half hour on the ball field where kids may be just sitting around the edges, now they're involved in games. And uh, there's the the great quote from Playworks that we've adopted is, you know how hard it is to get kids to be, you know, physically active for an hour, maybe it's hard, you know how easy it is to get kids to play for an hour. So as we (laughs) reimagine what play is, Knowing that moving the body is a good thing, but all along the way they're having fun, that's another way schools are handling this. And I
3: want to say something about PlayWorks here, again, as a state health officer. One of the interesting research parts has been with our PlayWorks program is a decrease in bullying. So we're we're looking at physical health, we're looking at mental health, and here we're looking at emotional health. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it really is a, p- a pretty exciting part of what we're doing, I think.
2: You know, one thing we haven't addressed is this is, I mean, we're all different age groups here, but when I was young, I would basically say goodbye to my mother in the morning and then come back, especially in the summertime, mm-hmm. come back at dinnertime when we heard the bell. What historically why are we even having to have this discussion? What has happened in our society in the way we're raising kids in our schools that has changed?
1: Uh, I was wondering the same thing. So many things. 30 years. <laughs> so many why things. Why the dramatic changes? the technology and the games that we're uh, playing? I'd love to hear, hear you thing.
6: address that a little bit. The, it's interesting because um, there's so many things that happen simultaneously to cause this to happen. So Everything from sedentary behavior increasing as a result of technology to the redi- readily available food and the, so many sure. foods and so many calories per person available to heating and cooling our houses. It made it comfortable for us, so we didn't have to get out <laughs> there. We can anymore, hang out in right? the house, no
1: problem. Um,
6: and, and, and the increased use of cars in the Atlanta area, right? We, we're More of the state's – half of the state's population is here, and so many of them are commuting more than 35 or 40 miles a day. So we had this simultaneous – it was like the harmonic convergence mm-hmm. of what would happen in order to make childhood obesity increase. And it happened in the U.S. and it happened to a greater extent here in Georgia.
7: Right. One of the solutions that some communities are looking at, the technical language, is joint use agreements. So, you know, if you think that TV and, you know, air conditioning and screen time aren't going away. So, uh, but the question is, when you get home after school, can you walk to a place that's safe to play? So you may have a park near your house, but many of us, like I grew up near an elementary school, we would go on to that campus after school and play. Well, now you may be told you're not welcome on that campus because we've locked the gate or you're not a student here. So Georgia has made some progress um, in in creating some legislation to allow for these joint use agreements to take schools a little bit off the hook for the liability I see. and then open up if they've got a running track or a ball field yeah. say yeah it's fine for the residents of the neighborhood who don't have a kid in school to come use that after school. So the more we lock up literally behind padlocks resources that could be used in the neighborhood, it, it leaves kids without those safe choices.
6: One of the other things I think that's important to remember is Georgia's being recognized nationally for this multi-sector sort of multi-setting approach. We're not just doing schools. We're doing health care. We're doing communities. We're doing faith. So there's a lot of efforts that are happening in the state and we're being recognized for that nationally that we're, we're training and we're building capacity and we're doing programming and we're looking at policies. All of these things have to happen to reduce the prevalence of childhood obesity.
2: And earlier you mentioned energy balance. So is there any of the eating component? And, and just for the benefit of the listeners, what actually
6: is energy balance? So energy balance means that a child is taking in what it needs to function and expecting ex, um, burning the enough energy to actually build their body up and to grow and develop healthfully. So for example, when I said earlier that 30 minutes is enough to bring them into the balance, Most children are actually over-consuming by about 125. Consuming food. Food. mm -hmm, Food and beverage by about 125 kilocalories a day at the population level, right? Trace's group is assessing more than 1 million children in Georgia. So if we could get just that 400-plus schools that have been trained in power-up back into balance, that will move the needle for us.
1: And I can see, I mean, over time, clearly that excess calorie intake is going to add up and, and put weight on our body. But at the same time, the, the nice thing about that factor is is it's not exorbitant from an
7: excess standpoint, no. which means that we're doing the things that we're talking about day, here right? yes. yeah, of can all the truly the, uh, slice
6: of bread. put yeah, that
7: <laughs> back in the balance. Of all the things in the world that we can't fix, this is actually one we can't fix. It's literally in our reach. This <laughs> it is, is one that's so is. simple. And I think that some of the perception of all, you know, all is lost because the data can be scary when you look at these trend lines of right. today's kids by 2050 shouldn't, should not translate to the notion that it's not fixable. Uh, Emily, I know, can talk also about the food piece. That her team has done remarkable work with Department of Education on uh, helping schools change what they serve in the school lunchroom. For all of the press that we've gotten nationally that hasn't always been positive, Georgia school cafeteria nutrition directors are doing amazing work, and Emily can probably speak to that directly.
4: Absolutely. So just to preface this comment with, um, we have five different expert work groups that kind of report up to the council that Dr. Fitzgerald and Dr. Baer um, chair, and those five work groups are physical activity, in which the program that we've been speaking of sits, uh, nutrition, healthcare, data and evaluation, and marketing and communications. So, with the nutrition group, what we do is we meet quarterly with experts from across the state, and it um, includes you know dietitians from the healthcare setting, clinical dietitians, um, private practice dietitians, all kinds of real experts from rural settings, um, metro Atlanta, all over. And what they do is they come up with different um, efforts and interventions that we should adopt. Um, They help us decide which routes to take. They help us identify what the best practices are for the state. And one of the exciting um, programs that we've recently developed with Children's Healthcare of Atlanta and Strong for Life is called the Smarter Lunchroom Program. And what that does is it's taken from some work done by Dr. Brian Wansink, and what he did was evaluate lunchrooms and using basic marketing techniques um, create behavior change in students. So just by moving uh, fruit from an ugly plastic container that was underneath the shelf at the end of the line <laughs> right. to a pretty attractive bowl actually increased consumption by sure. a significant amount. So right now we're um, working with them to create change in the school cafeterias just through you know easy marketing tools
1: the um, statewide coordinator for Georgia Shape and uh, Obesity Project Manager, Emily Vall and talk about how is this project, how are we getting it out to and get our schools invested in the project and get them to commit? What's that process like as it relates to recruiting our schools? How are we communicating this to them? And And, and what's the conversation, how is it conducted? Is it and of done by a letter, or is it done by someone kind of calling on them? How are we getting them involved? All of involved? the above.
4: Okay. <laughs> so, again, with the expert work groups, we also have a communications and marketing work group. So, through that work group, when we do have these new interventions and efforts, we get the message out through all of our different experts across the state. In addition, our wonderful partnership with the Department of Education helps us um, work with those school districts, you know, uh, work through teacher work days, um, and then uh, – through some of our other efforts that are already being implemented, such as Power Up, we also communicate through that.
1: And as we've begun to interface with our schools, you know, Dr. Fitzgerald was talking earlier about the fact that in the state we have a little bit over 1,300 schools that we're trying to reach. We've got 370 trained, 486 have agreed to participate, so we're making some headway. We've got about a third or so, um, maybe a little over, uh, on board with the notion. Um, But for those that have not yet Adopted, and, and clearly we talked about the fact that uh, we may get some herd mentality as we get a little bit more mass and some more data coming in. But have you gotten feedback as to why my school, uh, I I can't do that. I don't have time. I don't. I'm not interested. Are you getting reasons back to you as to why I can't participate?
4: Absolutely. And I, I think one of the things we're very lucky to have is a partner like Health Powers. Um, they're actually in the schools through a myriad of different programs, and they're kind of our technical assistance providers that actually goes into each school and works with the teachers, educators. And th- there's a huge trust component there um, because you know most of Health Empower's staff, they are educators. They have been educators. They build trust within the school setting, and so that allows the schools to be very open and honest. And what we found in a lot of the schools, especially in some of the rural areas, is a lot of the teachers – play so many different roles. You know, the same teacher is the athletic director, is the coach, is the PE (laughs) teacher, is the assistant principal. And it gets very difficult to add another thing to their plate. Um, So I think, you know, when we talk about that, it's very important that we communicate how easy this program is to implement and how it does tailor to their wants and needs, as well as, you know, this content is being delivered through experts that you can trust rather than, you know, a canned program that we're gonna use across the whole state, no matter what your context actually looks like.
3: And we're encouraging them to know that if you have, for example, in the Power Up uh, program that we've looked at, there was le- there were less absences. Um, kids were healthier and they were there more. And funding for individual schools depends on the number of days that children are in the classroom. So again, we think that this is a very positive way uh, to encourage schools to do this.
1: We will have a student that we can actually ask my premise, uh, but I would think that being able to move around and do some fun activities while I'm in the classroom itself would seem to make school a little bit more fun. Now, he's nodding. Um, We'll hear a little bit about that, but it would seem that that would make me look forward to school a little bit more rather than being told all day long, sit still, pay attention.
2: You know, and the government is not necessarily known as... An organization that gets things done quickly <laughs> so I, I'm actually a little bit interested I mean it, this is cross-discipline this is faith hospital private public yes how fa- how fast did you get to concept like this is a problem governor deal did something about it to the fact that we have a name we're bringing people together in a room uh, t- tell me that process how long it took and, and the speed of that, that it happened it was very quick
3: um, it was very, uh, John, was it about a year from, I think, uh, from when we first started? We started, we start. Um, we, we, we knew we needed to do it. Uh, we actually met in the Arthur Blank um, Foundation uh, room around their board table, and it was several of us. And we said, okay, we need to do this. We need to have concentric circles. Here, here's this little group of people. We're determined to do it, and then we're going to very quickly move out. Um, so we had good partnerships with our academic uh, friends at the University of Georgia, and we we basically invited everybody in the room and all the people that we could think of that might have um an impact on this because quite frankly we had looked at what other states had done um and lots of states have tried to have movement on the whole childhood obesity thing and quite frankly there wasn't a lot of movement in some of the places we were looking at so what we knew is or what we believed is that we had to have all these components involved or we wouldn't get progress so we brought in everybody we could think of. um, and then we had facilitated discussions. Um, and the and the University of Georgia did that for us. And we came up with a game plan. That took about a year. Um, and um, one of the things
6: that's important more, well, about those facilitated discussions, The first, one of the first childhood obesity conferences actually happened right here in Atlanta in 1999. So we actually had the capacity in the state of individuals working in childhood obesity, not just in the universities, but in many nonprofits around the state. So we had the capacity in the room. It took commissioner Fitzgerald and that team to bring all those sectors together and then really facilitate that plan of action so we have a long history in the state of taking action on it now it's a facilitated strategic process and that's what's important
3: we we went as as we said we went from scattered light to laser light yeah yeah, yeah. and I've had the privilege to um, actually be is it a subcommittee, Emily?
2: To, yep, to To meet with the subcommittee, and I just want you to kind of talk about who is on that subcommittee because it really is remarkable, the resources and the players that you guys have all pulled together. So just talk a little bit about who is actually kind of helping behind the scenes as well.
4: Absolutely. So with the with the five different subcommittees, again, there are experts from across the state and you know even the nation. For example, uh, we have a Harvard researcher that often calls into our marketing and communications um, subgroup. We have uh, the former Surgeon General sits on our council and usually attends all of our data and evaluation subgroup meetings. And then we have classroom teachers, um, the different organizations and coalitions across the state. They're members, too. So we really have a nice, big, broad, diverse group for each of the five different groups. Um, each subgroup's comprised of between 10 and 20 people. And so, we're yeah, great, and, like.
2: and also talk a little bit about how the faith community has kind of stepped up to the plate and really embraced this as well.
6: So, what's happening in the state of Georgia is, in addition to shape efforts. There are many partners that are receiving funding from CDC and other entities. And so um, back in the late 90s, we created a Live Healthy in Faith initiative, and folks in Baldwin County and Harrelson Hurt and Carroll County are adopting these what we call chronic disease reduction programs to help people with diabetes and heart and other issues that are chronic, like asthma. So these faith communities are coming together, deciding what they want to do, what will impact their audience. If you're an African- African-American church, what you'll adopt is different than what you would a- adopt in a synagogue. So these churches are coming together, deciding what they'll do, implement programs, and realizing health change, establishing health ministries, and doing things they can sustain.
3: And the Department of Public Health's role is to bring all those people in the room. I mean, our position was we don't need your logo and we don't want your credit. We all just want to make sure that we all understand what all these variety of groups are doing so that we can have a cooperative effort, because we believe that that would um, that would increase the individual efforts. And for the listeners, we're listened to in
2: about forty-five states, and it's growing. Explain to the listeners that are maybe listening to us in New York why we need to bring the faith community into this whole thing.
6: When you think about how you're going to affect change in families. We know that there are certain settings where social support has a greater impact, and the faith setting is one of those. So when you bring a parent together and you embrace health along with their religious beliefs, we know that it becomes part of their culture and their norms. And the only way we're going to change and sustain this effort around childhood obesity is to get them to embrace this within their cultural norms.
1: And I would imagine that that forum is one great place that everybody's coming together in a group, so you can obviously, it's much more easy to address the group of people, um, and there's some measure of influence there as well, but that's a great forum through which you can talk about the things that we've discussed here in in relation to our, our children's body mass index, for example, and the health implications of that, but also the academic implications of that. Your student is likely to do better in school, which all of us parents want. Um, if they participate. So if your school's not, then that helps get the parents talking to their school to get them involved. And and before we jump on and talk to our folks from the school, the last thing I want to get from our experts here, as I indicated before the show, is one of the things that we're trying to do here with Health Connect South is to pull resources together. Clearly, you've got a, a great start on that, and you've got a number of different agencies and organizations who are collaborating to make this a success. But What do we lack? What what will push us over the top, make this happen sooner? Because clearly we've got roughly two thirds of our schools yet to be recruited, um, and and participating. So, are there items, resources, funding, uh, whatever it may be, that you sit around the table going, "Gosh, if only we had this, then this would probably
7: charge ahead." We've made great progress. We've we've made great progress in Georgia, and I think to take the next step, it's about uh, what the health researchers would call disparities so that you can look at the overall Georgia numbers and you can look at pockets where there's a special need. And the solution that works for a 15-year-old young man who's a jock or a 15-year-old young woman who's on the volleyball team may be different from some other kids. Right. We're seeing a big drop-off in aerobic capacity with middle school young women. Young women, And, and we need creative, innovative solutions. We can't just say to the young women, do what the other guys are doing. I mean, we need a different solution. And so we need some innovation and experimentation And while we're celebrating the overall trend line is pretty good, we've got some pockets of need that we need to pay special attention to.
3: And that really, I mean, that part, we have some, the Centene Foundation gave us some money to begin to look at that. But we really need to look at that next step. I think we have, or I feel that we have pretty good uh, ideas on what to do as far as elementary school. We just need Mm -hmm. to get more schools involved. And then the second part is we really need to think and research how we're going to get those young women uh, and young men involved. And so how does technology,
2: how can technology help here? I mean, is there a play for someone to donate wearables to schools? Or I mean, is there anything, any thought behind that?
7: Well, well, my sense from, again, not from the health side, but from the community side that we work in, that technology is becoming less of an enemy and more of a friend. Right. That the gaming- Gamification, um, yeah, as they call it, yeah. That they are increasingly games that require interactivity, and it, because it's also not going away, that the Fitbits, the feedback, and, and some of the apps will ultimately be ways that young people engage. Again, you have the disparity issue because you have young people without access to that technology. So each innovation, uh, the, the concern is innovations widen the have and have not gap instead of closing it. Um, I think the technology in schools with whiteboards and the ability to draw content through Internet platforms in the cloud allow for virtual programming that are cheaper than bringing in new experts.
6: One last point I'd like to make on the technology piece is by using it in schools, and Trace can speak to this better, but the fact is kids get immediate feedback. Right. Without it, they didn't receive feedback. So when they're wearing the heart rate monitor, they're wearing the, the, the pedometer, they see what they're doing. Mm-hmm. They get the feedback, and they know they can do better to get into the healthy fitness zone. So that f- immediate feedback is really important.
1: I know layered over the top of that is the, the governor's honor roll, for example, that there's some measure of recognition for participants to be recognized for their uh, work and their achievements as they've gone along. Um, so obviously that's a big deal if you make the honor roll.
4: It is, and what we're very excited about is this past year we had approximately 50 more schools make the honor roll. So that's purely a recognition program, and the schools that are already actively implementing health and wellness initiatives um, apply to be on the honor roll. And um, they get a nice little certificate signed by the governor, Dr. Fitzgerald, and the Department of Education superintendent. So um, it's very exciting for the schools, and of course we want to recognize the behavior that... We like,
1: and for those that are listening, if you want to learn some more about the programs and some research behind it, there's some short videos from the governor, from Dr. Katherine Davis that's talking about the study that uh, I believe it may have been PET scans that it was yes. uh, illuminating how the brain is functioning. Um, uh, short shortly after activity to kind of give you a visual idea of what we're talking about here and what it does to the brain. And before we run out of time, I can't believe how you know, we always remark about how fast our time goes. So before we run out of time, I wanted to have our guest from uh, the, the Carrollton Elementary Schools, um, Miss McDowell, and uh, uh, one of the students from uh, the, the school as well, um, be able to jump on and talk about it. Colt Shadricks is a student at the school who can kind of share with us what it's been like so miss mcdowell Good can morning. you share with us thanks for taking time obviously driving into the city to join us in the studio talk about what the process was like for you how, how did you receive this information when they came to you and said hey we want to try to do this was there trepidation was there sure we want to do this How to have uh, it we were very
8: excited um you know because it, with our weather you know sometimes we are Very disappointed when we cannot go outside. Sure, but um, so it has turned not just an ordinary day, but even winter rainy days into very exciting times. Um, What we do is in the morning we have a brain break. That's where in mid morning we we stop what we're doing and we get up and move around the room. We use um, things from the internet. Uh, We use Adventures in Fitness, Go Noodle, um, and then we have our normal. Recess, which is a. Can you
2: bet? What's Go Noodle?
8: It is a website. <laughs> that, Sometimes I just
1: go noodle myself. <laughs> yeah. uh,
8: one of those. Reasons <laughs> I'm that, <kind> of show.
5: <laughs> that is a
8: website that has a lot of short clips, um, anywhere from one minute to three minutes. Uh, it gives us literally a brain break. We get up out of our seats and I move around with the class as well. We do have, I do have a team teacher. So some things, when we switch classes, I, don't, I do, do not get to have Colt with me all day. Um, and then we have our regular recess, and then in the afternoon we do the same thing. We get another brain break in the afternoon. Um, you know, it's just, it can be a silly time. It's a fun time. And then we get back on task. Um, and I have noticed that, you know, we all need to move around the room. Sure. Um, and then we do get more settled. You know, so, so
1: you're finding for the for your peers that are listening to our show mm-hmm. today, um, and then perhaps later on the podcast, you, you're, you're you're finding that it's actually not taking away from your teaching oh, no. time, and it's actually no. adding to it because you come you find the students come back to center and actually are yes. paying attention to what you're saying yes, more quickly. Exactly,
8: and because and not just and you know I'm thinking, looking at the whole child, not just mm-hmm. when I have them. In a wonderful world, you know our kids have extracurricular activities that could take this 30 minutes and then they have their own parents to take them to activities, but not all children have that. Mm-hmm. You know, I, would, I, do have, I do take my girls to extracurricular activities, but not everybody has that luxury. Sure. So this gives our, all children that do not have that capability or luxury of those extracurricular activities, this gives them that physical activity.
1: And when we were talking to the folks from GCAP a few weeks ago talking about diabetes prevention, um, one of the things they mentioned is how the students, as they become involved in these programs, can sometimes become a center of influence in the home and actually start mm-hmm. to uh, put peer pressure on their family to make some changes to improve the, the health of their family. I'm, I'm curious to see if over what time, you know, if you start hearing from teachers or, or from uh, parents in, in conferences, yeah, we actually are starting to try to do more in the home. Colt, as a student... What what's it been like for you? Because now you get to, you have your recess, and now we're 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 studying and we're learning and we're having to sit still. But now we get to take a break and then get back to it. And what's that been like for you when they started doing that? And in terms of, do you feel better? Do you feel like you can pay attention a little bit more? What's it like? It it feels like I get more work done when I get power up for thirty. Yeah. So what kind of activities do you find that? you know kind of help you when you're doing your uh, brain break are there particular activities you enjoy what kind of stuff are you doing um dividing so you actually you're 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 saying that now that uh, you're working on some division stuff that after you've been able to kind of do do your brain breaks and move around a little bit in class you're finding that it's actually coming to you a little more readily now yes sir Yeah. Well, are there certain activities in the brain break that you like to do that uh, you and your classmates have fun doing? What's your
2: favorite brain break?
1: My favorite one is in the morning. What do you do? Sometimes we try to balance on one leg. Oh, okay. Was it hard at first? Yes, sir. (laughs) But it's easier now, I guess. Yes, sir. Yeah. And do you find that uh, running around in... uh, P.E. class, for example, is a little bit easier now that you're doing some more during the, the day as well? Yes, sir. Yeah. So w- would you advise your, your, your classroom peers out there that are at another school that maybe if they're not, do you have kids that you know in the community that go to a different school that are friends of yours that you get to talk to about what you're doing? No, yes, sir. Uh, well, we need to try to get you introduced so <laughs> that, that you can tell them about how much fun that you're having in the class.
2: Yeah, I, I have. I'm the mom of four boys, and we used to call this getting the wiggles out. And they'd always
4: settle down. So now there's a government program that actually is making it official. And that's actually really fun. A lot of the schools have created their own activities. So now they have dance to the door policy or boogie to the bell policy. So it's pretty fun and creative.
1: So it sounds like there's a whole bunch of different ways that we can implement moving around a little bit more during the course of the day. It doesn't necessarily have to be anything seriously extravagant or really intrusive on the classroom day you can integrate it in between classrooms even um so it sounds like there's a lot of different ways um that we can do this and clearly you all got to kind of come up with what you wanted to do
8: we did we did we um we tried to have like a chime throughout the school to kind of do it as a whole school Mm -hmm. um That kind of didn't work, so they did allow us to fit it to our own classroom needs. So if it works at 920 for one classroom, it may work best at 940 for another classroom. So while we're all on the same, you know, block period, it still may fit better, you know, at one time period than another. So we do, we're allowed to do it what best suits our kids' needs.
1: And you can break it into time increments. Mm-hmm. They advise, I guess, eight minutes at least as a stretch. But if you want to do it as a, you're doing it two fifteen minute breaks as second. We do have a entry? twenty
8: minute recess, uh-huh. and then we have five minutes in the morning, five minutes in the afternoon.
1: Okay. Mm-hmm.
2: And so, as a teacher, was this when you heard that your school was adopting this? Was this? I mean, how did you feel? Was it like, wow, it's a great idea, or were you like, oh, I my was gosh. very
8: excited because um, I know that kids need to move around. Um, I don't know if it's the group of students I have right now this year that I know, or I just, from the teaching experience that I've had, you know, I need to move around. Um, We all need a little stretch break, walk to the water fountain, come back. And I think it's good for kids. And I see that, you know, we do, and Mm -hmm. maybe that my exposure to the play 60 in the past few years, that they need this, Mm -hmm. whether they get it. And I think, Sadly, in our society, a lot of times what the kids get at school, whether it's emotional needs being met, nutritional needs being met, academics, what they get with me is, sadly, sometimes all they're going to get throughout the day. And so this was another way to meet their physical needs.
2: Now, Dr. Fitzgerald, I kind of grew up in the era where um, we were being taught in school how harmful smoking was, which was really radical Um, And, you know, we're taught how to basically draw circles around our parents' cigarettes to make sure they stop at a certain point. I mean, now I just stated myself. But was there (laughs) any thinking in establishing this program that if you start at this age, it might actually have a trickle up? fact to the
3: parents? There was thinking and there's research to back that. It is very clear um, that if you have a child that is not fit, there is a much greater percentage of chance that that child will be an adult who's not fit.
1: So as we have about... 4 minutes left. Let's talk about the opportunities for grants um real quickly and then try to get a couple of final thoughts uh, before we jump to the grants. Share your your opinion as a as an expert for the peers out there that are teachers or administrators in the local schools that aren't yet on board. What would you say?
5: And
8: one thought I had earlier as when I think somebody passed around why wouldn't you do this? Right. Cuz I've heard, you know, I think a whole school system in Florida, I believe, like canceled recess. Right.
1: I've heard about things um, like that, yeah.
8: And I guess their thinking is test scores. Right. Um, and I know I probably shouldn't be saying this on a radio show but and being a teacher, but this, maybe they haven't heard the data, you know, and their test scores do not make the child. There is so much more to these sweet babies than test scores. And, you know, this is going to feed them well more than just some kind of score on a sheet of paper. Mm-hmm. So if we as educators – need to look well beyond some some one-time test and we need to look at them l- way down the road not at just some test. that might
1: the exciting thing about this initiative is it addresses both sides you yeah, know the it, test it, scores it, go up that's right yeah right. we make our kids healthier which is clearly good mm-hmm. for our for the child itself as an individual our overall health system as they age but help them perform better mm-hmm. academically As it stands, which is fantastic. Um, And you you were going to talk a little bit about grant opportunities for uh, programs out there. Um, We want to share that because we've got about four minutes left to go. So we want to try to make sure we uh, understand what kind of options are out there as far as grants and so forth.
3: Uh, One thing, um, our SHAPE website, you you just Google SHAPE and you can find it. There is a specific place that educators can go, and it will list the opportunities. And also, there's some open-ended part. If you have a a good idea that you would like to find some funding for, it's our ability again to like. There are a lot of we've discovered there are a lot of private fundings, um, private people out there that want to do something, but they don't know exactly what to do. So we get an idea from a school. A school might say, "Hey." we would really like, and then we can take that to, again, public health can be that connective um, element.
4: Yes, and then we also have another program called the SHAPE Grantee Program. And what that does is um, provide schools, and it's not just elementary school, it's middle school and high school too, uh, with the technical assistance and some funding to implement various wellness activities. So they can choose whether they want to you know, concentrate on physical activity efforts, nutrition efforts, or a combination. And then they have experts that really help them identify how they can create an intervention that makes sense for their space.
7: There are a couple of things I want to mention from the Atlanta Falcons Youth Foundation. The uh, GIN Youth Grants that I mentioned earlier are available to schools that participate in Power Up for 30. So it's another reason to be a Power Up for 30 school because if you're not, you're not eligible for the grant. Um, there's also a, an organization we partner with called Good Sports. When in some cases, the barrier is equipment. We need yoga mats. Right, we need right. cones, balls. And we provide uh, with Georgia Shape these equipment donations to anybody in Georgia. It's one of the few things we do that anybody can apply for in the whole state. You can find out about it, I think, through the Georgia Shape website or through afyf.org. Last thing real quickly that I'll mention for the Atlanta community is the National Football League provides uh, one grant a year for, for field development. So uh, that's not statewide, but back to our point about having kids be able to go down the street to a safe ball field or playing field, um, you can uh, find out about that through afyf.org also.
1: Well, I really want to say thank you to this collection of experts, uh, Dr. Fitzgerald from the Georgia Department of Health and uh, John Baer from the Atlanta Falcons Youth Foundation. Clearly, this is a uh, an initiative that has far-reaching implications for our children and for our overall uh, community health. Um, So very busy people. Thanks so much for making this show a part of your day-to-day to to be able to help get the word out about what we're doing, because clearly, why wouldn't you do it? Uh, Why wouldn't you get your students involved, help them be more healthy, and uh, do better in school, which is obviously what we're all trying to do. So a big thank you to everyone here in the studio. Christopher Rudy behind the board back there in silence today. No mic. Sad for, for us. <laughs> Diana Keo, my co-host, thanks for uh, taking time out of your busy day as well to join me on the mic. Always
2: a pleasure. This is an important thing.
1: Make sure you share this information, please, because uh, we're depending very much on folks turning around and saying, hey, you got to check this out. This is a big deal. Um, make sure you make an appointment to see us at the same time, same place. We'll see you at 9 o'clock next week.
0: This show is brought to you by Sherwick Media Group. Sherwick is the health and wellness solution. Content that inspires change. Learn more at www.sherwick.com. That's sharewik.com. And link up with us on Facebook and Twitter.